The Leaders Who Meditate podcast. Meditation and mindfulness practices have helped the evolution of human mindset and well-being long before the age of modern science and psychology. Many of these practices stem from thousands of years of proven techniques passed down from one generation to the next. Today, scientists back the benefits of many of these techniques and thanks to technology, millions of people, including leaders at some of the world's largest organisations, use various forms of meditation and mindfulness for the mental and physical well-being for themselves and their teams. In this podcast, I talk to Jeff Watkins, Chief of Technology at a growing UK-based digital agency called And Digital. Jeff began his meditation journey from his childhood with Zen Buddhism. He speaks to me about how his practice has deepened and helped his development personally and professionally, particularly during the pandemic. You'll find links in the comments to any related resources and schools of thoughts from the podcasts. Hi, Jeff. Thank you so much for joining me today. Really pleased to have you here. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So I'm really keen to learn more about your journey with mindfulness and meditation. Could Mm -hmm. you talk to us a bit about how you first got into it and when did this journey begin for you and how's it evolved? It's kind kind of an interesting one for me because it was a slow burn. I was brought up in a family that because I'm of a certain age, my parents were young in the 60s and 70s and, uh, and, and Zen Buddhism was become really fashionable at that time. So I spent quite a lot of my youth, although I can't remember a lot of it because I was very young, and in, in the Zen um, monast- Buddhist monastery in Northumberland called Thorstall Hall. And that kind of, there was some practice involved and that lasted for a few years, but it was, it was, it was a long time ago and I kind of let it lapse. But then I, at the age of 18, became really interested in martial arts as, just as something to do while at university as part of a sporting club. And I found that had certain um, meditative qualities and they actually encouraged a lot of breathing exercises and, and effectively mind, mindfulness-like practices in, into, into the actual routines we were doing. But also at the time I was proofreading a lot of docu- scientific documents for, um, for a company called Elsevier. Uh, as a part-time job and I actually started learning through that because there was a number of the papers submitted were around meditation, yogic meditation, Zen meditation, the actual some of the effects, the neuroscience behind it and some of the health benefits and then fast forward a few years and really I got to a point in my life especially around I think the the beginnings of lockdown where I realized that although I practiced on and off, I think I, mean, I, I realised that spending all this time with too much time in my head and too much overthinking, I need to do something. So I actually enrolled in a course, a Yale University course on Coursera called the Science of Wellbeing, 
And that really showed a lot of very compelling studies. I mean, not fully, uh, there, were correla- there were correlations really, rather than fully scientifically explained causations, but really showing that there's a lot of correlation between the elements of well-being, the things we really should be doing to keep ourselves well, and the actual benefits, I mean, both in, in kind of social benefits and also things like neuroscience. So it, it, I got more and more interested and started practicing. And it, kind of almost, I got more seriously into practice almost by accident when I found one of Tignat Han's podcasts on YouTube, like just an audio recording of one of his, of, I think it was the miracle of mindfulness, I think it was. And it really, it really drew me in and because a lot of modern mindfulness meditation, I think plays very much the corporate angle and, it's, and, it, and they don't explain a lot of the depth behind it. It's, it, it I find the explanation too simplistic and when I can't really link to a lot of the benefits behind something, I struggle to see the value of it. So, and I found with that, like I, it was very well explained and, and I started practicing it and actually almost immediately saw great results from it. So I then I actually started, one of the things that they recommend about, about a well-being routine is having a routine. So things like journaling, things like putting time into meditate, putting time into socially connect with people, making time to cook proper food, making time to go for a walk and, or do some exercise, actually making a space in your life for it. And that's where I think it really took off for me and I, and I started seeing genuine benefits to my life. Yeah, I think there is an important distinction between meditation practices mm-hmm. and mindfulness practices and then applying that mindfulness into your daily life and in- incorporating it in a way that is practical in a visible sense in everything that you do from how you are at home to how you are in your workplace so for you it seems like that that distinction has been obviously building up over the years through the practice that you originally started with when you were younger were you actually meditating as well when you were Yes, but but I think I lacked the emotional and kind of the emotional maturity to fully understand really Zen meditation. And and Zen meditation could be any kind of meditation really for the purposes of this. But I really I, I think although it's great to start at a young age, I think I know like a lot of things in life, I think I maybe appreciate them more now I'm slightly more mature. I was always a slow learner. <laughs> but yes, I, I agree there's a very important distinction between generalized mindfulness and and living the mindful life and meditation, mindful meditation practices. And even then, people think it was kind of maybe one type of mindful meditation practice where there's, there's in, in, in Zen, because the corporate mindfulness trainers kind of removed any of the, or attempted to remove any of the Zen backgrounds to it, there's kind of broadly two types that I, I'm aware of, being kind of the Samatha meditation, which is which is more contemplative and quiet and, and it's more about just allowing thoughts to pass, pass through and the vipassana meditation which is more about the kind of the, the slightly more the introspective one that gets you to think about the causes of your suffering which i'd say i'm still early in my journey with that because i think that's a slightly more advanced practice and requires actually a little bit of caution before you go d- digging deep into all the wounds yes and I think with that, you've the something as authentic as the Zen meditation practice and some of the original 
Buddhist and Vedic meditation practices there that have come out from the East, as they've come to the West, there has been a, a, di a dilution of that. However, the positives have been that with that dilution, it, they've made it easier. The attempt has always been to make it easier to understand and apply, especially in the workplace. And I know you've been doing some fantastic things at and digital as way in the way that you've brought your teachings from meditation and mindfulness into your working environment. Can you maybe talk to that a bit and explain how you've brought that in as part of the team culture there? So the good thing about Zen meditation, and in fact, I'd say a good lot of meditation is it's one of those things that doesn't require faith in anything. George Gurdjieff once said something along the lines of, don't believe anything I say, take, you know, take everything from your own evidence through your practice. If you see something works, then you know, there's empirical evidence that it's working for you. So what I, what I do is, is I try to take some of the elements of, around the fringes of it all, things like mindful listening, deep listening, and mindful communication, and trying to work some of those. Because if you look at them on the surface, you take some of the flowery wording away from it, it's kind of just good com communication. And we did a course on, on, on client communication and basically like a leadership training course. And if you looked at a lot of the messages in there, they, they were not so different. There was a lot, there was no conflict between them. They were consistent. These are, I think these are just kind of life skills that nobody really teaches. So in this framework, we can we can start to teach them. And some of them are very simple, but we just forget because we get busy with life and we forget to think about how we listen, how we compassionately communicate. It's very tempting to reply to an email in haste and so somewhat regrettably sometimes. We usually have the benefit of time to be able to think about compassionate and more considered communication. So that there's a number of different arms to it. There's the, obviously the generalised mindfulness of making time to actually live your life, not just to be a spectator in your own life, which is a terrible waste because we'll all be dead before we know it. So you might as well have actually lived some of that life while we're at it. But also, obviously, the meditation elements, the elements of communication, and especially listening. Yeah. And I think that listening piece, that piece about silence in general, silence to watch yourself as well as to be mindful about what's happening around you. It's become even more important with the impact of the pandemic. Have you found, you touched on it a little bit earlier, that you've been practicing more and you've been realising the benefits more of mindfulness, certainly since the pandemic began. Can you talk to that a bit to our audience and what elements in particular have, have really stood out to you? So I think it's a great question because the pandemic has been, in my opinion, a pressure cooker. And some people, regrettably, that's caused them to have um, a great deal of mental health issues and lo obviously loss of life and loved ones. I'm sure everybody knows, uh, either has lost a loved one or knows somebody who has lost a loved one during these times. And some of us have been very isolated or forced into very restricted close quarters with people they don't necessarily want to spend that much time with. So I think deepening the practice really helped me. One thing was to try to act in non-judgment and listen with non-judgment and always try and take the compassionate side of it. Of if, if somebody says something that could be taken two ways, you could be very hot-headed and take it the bad way. 
or you could try and take it in a more compassionate way. And I think it's encouraged me to take a more measured approach to my communication with people and to basically think a little bit more before I start running my mouth off. Because in the past, I, uh, I'm an, quite an emotional being sometimes. Uh, I can sometimes re- be reactionary and trying to tame some of that, trying to slow myself down a little bit, I found to be really helpful. And I find that it usually creates a better outcome and actually quite often in meetings. If I have opinions, sometimes actually it can be kept to myself now because there's plenty of other people on the, on the line. If I, so I'm very privileged, very lucky to be in a position as chief of, chief of technology at Digital. I could go into a meeting and just tell everybody my opinions and then the meeting, and then really the meeting probably thought, from my point of view, I'd have learned nothing and the meeting may as well not have happened. I'm sure everybody else would be very frustrated. So taking all those into consideration, giving the right amount of space for conversation, the right amount of space for communication, the right amount of space to listen to people and to some, and often just, I'm a natural, I naturally try to be a fixer of things. This is a very computer programmer trait. You tell me you've got a problem, you might actually just want to be listened to. I might start helpfully trying to offer solutions that you just don't really want. Yeah. So I think it's provided me a lot more space in my conversations for better communication, in my opinion, at least. And it sounds to me like there's been that, I guess the, the more you've done it, this real evolution of self-awareness in the moment, like moment-to-moment self-awareness. And when we look at how we are, particularly in the workplace, and you work for a fast-paced digital agency you're on the go your team are on the go it's really important to be able to actually take a step back and breathe and slow down you can still work in a fast-paced environment but you can choose to slow those reactions down and therefore become more productive and I know that you've mentioned previously when we've spoken that there has been not just from a personal perspective in terms of your mindfulness practice but general awareness of what mindfulness can bring to teamwork and you touched on it previously today as well in terms of bringing in some of the aspects into leadership what I found when I've delivered mindfulness courses or workshops to corporates is that it's not for everybody When you get people in a room, there's going to be some naturally that are maybe uncomfortable at closing their eyes or they're uncomfortable with their thoughts, particularly when you're first first starting out. So what's been the perception of mindfulness to some of the people in your workplace that maybe haven't been aware of it or the benefits of it before? Yeah, I think it's an interesting one because, as you mentioned, I think some people are very perceptive very open to it and some people less so i think when we try and talk about it we try and talk about it in a way that's as accessible as possible so there's no one right way to meditate you can meditate while walking you can meditate while drinking a cup of tea you don't need to meditate for exactly one hour a day you can get benefits from 10 minutes a day if you want to just we encourage people to give it a try so we give a little sample we run a little guided meditation just a little sample um, and people don't have to close their eyes they don't, they don't have to do anything but the, the main thing is trying to understand that state of allowing thoughts to come and go without striving without 
allowing too many thoughts of the past or the future to ruin the moment. So it, it is difficult, but I genuinely believe the people who adopt it gain growth from it. Yeah. And based on your journey, what have been some of the unexpected benefits of your practice? Well, one of them was actually being asked to do a lot, uh, to actually uh, talk about it a lot more. I kind of didn't think that would happen. I didn't expect quite how calm it would make me feel. It, it kind of gives you a power. Was it the Buddha's last teaching? He said, um, basically, be an island unto yourself. Don't seek refuge anywhere else. Now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have relationships with other people but certainly when it comes to the center of your own power it should come from you making a lot of other courses and other other writings really do stress don't make anybody else or any situation or any possession the condition for your happiness and that's super important in my opinion because it allows you to take that calm with you under most situations nobody's gonna be perfect there'll be times when people get into a flap i'll get into a flap I'm sure there's always crisis points where composure can be lost. But overall, I'd say it helps with emotional regulation immensely. I didn't quite understand at the the start how profound that would be. And I think it's actually helped me grow as a person. Yeah, I can certainly relate to that myself. With the Zen meditation practice that you do, how do you see it, particularly now with the information age and, and meditation and mindfulness generally becoming a lot more accessible for people? How do you see that practice evolving over the next 10 years for you as an individual and also for the wider population and world? I like to think that people will become more curious about it because there's been a big bow wave of interest in it. But I'm hoping that more people... See, YouTube has been an excellent platform for this in spreading more of the information from effectively, you know, the originals or from good sources. Tech's also enabling it because things like Headspace, great for people who, who fashionable naturally to just do it without a guide. And even now it's moved into virtual reality. There's a brilliant virtual uh, Oculus Quest 2 app that you can use to meditate. It's very relaxing. It's all three weeks, very soothing. And that might encourage people to take steps into doing it outside of that, which I think is fantastic. So text, although, you know, there's the, there's the dark side to tech, there's the kind of distraction factory that is social media where we compare ourselves to a lot of other people. Certainly studies have shown that one of the best things you can do for your mental well-being is turn off all of your social media. We realize that that's not necessarily a path everybody's going to follow. And certainly using some technology for good and creating more of an online community for it would be fantastic. I think it's been a challenge over COVID. Imagine a lot of people who run things like in-person meditation seminars. It's probably very challenging over lockdown. But it's shown, as we've seen with the uptake of video conferencing, I'm sure there's ways we can actually work together on something like this even remotely, to actually help bring awareness and the benefits of it. So yeah. I think, and then maybe in 10 years' time, we'll also better understand some of the neuroscience, maybe even further refined techniques to actually create a greater impact because the human mind from small and some of it still is, is quite a vastly untapped ocean of, of things happening that we don't, fully, you know, we don't fully understand yet. So as we better understand the human mind, or we better understand the effects of meditation from a neuroscience point of view, I think there could be, yet, yet, which sounds odd to say innovation in Zen, but that could happen. Yeah, I completely agree with you and can see that myself. From 
if you look at the way that the practices of meditation originally spread, they were from people to people. Actually, it's with any knowledge, right? But information technology has accelerated that rate in a positive way, particularly when it comes to spreading good and things that are genuinely going to benefit the human mind and body. And when we're looking at tech, an industry that you and I both know very well, the mindfulness industry, that well-being industry is growing at an exponential rate. The app industry for, for the mindfulness space is already worth a billion. And it's said to said to increase far beyond that by 2027. So there's certainly a lot of scope there. In terms of your own personal evolution, with Zen meditation and you also practice martial arts as well so there's very much an alignment there of body and mind where would you like to be in 10 years time with your practice what are you striving for I think so I actually took a break in my martial arts practice which is I think it's something I, I really would like to start again but I'd probably try something slightly more so I did over, over lockdown I did also take up doing qigong which is kind of a for people listening who aren't familiar with it is, is, is a lot of breathing and movement body movement exercise that links very a lot of them actually do incorporate medita- standing meditation movement meditation into it it's a less martial arts focused form of tai chi to I guess to, to give it a crude description I, I'd love to be able to throughout the industry spread more of that and, and actually help work these practices into everyday life. I think as a tech leader, I'd like to see everybody at least given the opportunity to benefit from it. Even if you know, a person of choice, they don't choose not to, I'd like to give people the opportunity to benefit from it and help in some way with the technical acceleration of these practices online. I think from, from my point of view, just keep studying, keep, so I, I spend a lot of time reading about it as well, um, keep reading and practicing and developing my own understanding of it, because there's a lot to understand, which is, it's kind of paradoxical, because the, 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 the fundamentals are simple, the depth is infinite. Yeah, that's a really powerful point. What's the one bit of advice, Jeff, that you would give to someone that's starting out on their journey with meditation and mindfulness one bit of advice one bit of advice on how to get started start with something very simple like a 10 minute value meditation on the one that you've gelled with some of them are they're far too noisy far too much loud, loud music but will be personal preference start with one and use that a few times and observe the benefits to yourself on it Maybe you use it to get to sleep at night. That's one of the first things I did. I had one of the best nights sleep of my life, listening to a guided meditation, woke up and thought, wow, I feel genuinely refreshed. At the time, I've been really struggling to sleep. So I think everything, it's no, there's no, it's no good trying to boil the ocean on this. It will probably cause more anxiety than it solves. The best way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time. Don't try and do it all at once, you know, try and swallow it whole. Start with something small, work your way up. Find something that works with your routine. Yeah. That's great. Thanks, Jeff. Well, I hope that for everyone listening, they've got some insight into how meditation and mindfulness is being used in the real world. Jeff, thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. Today. A pleasure. Likewise, Jeff. All the best. Thank you. Thank you.